message series today. It's entitled, How to Choose the Right Path. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. We're going to do a study through that. And what's neat about this series, and we've never done this before, is that Pastor and I are going to tag team it together. Woohoo! I'm excited. I am really excited about this series. So buckle up, because it's going to be an amazing time. Are you ready? Who's ready? Okay. I like interaction. You guys really fire me up if you give me some interaction. It makes it more fun. Okay? We all struggle with understanding which path to choose in our life, don't we? How many of you have struggled in your life? At some point or another, you've... Yeah. You see the hands. You've struggled. How many of you are in a struggle right now? You've got something you've been praying for and you want to know which direction to go in, right? This message, this message series is for you then, okay? Pastor and I are going to illustrate examples from the life of Daniel, and we're going to share practical principles throughout this series to help us in choosing the right path for our lives. So Daniel, he was the author of the book that shares his name. And he wrote about events that spanned approximately 70 years. It was between 605 and 536 B.C. So let me put that in perspective. That's 25 centuries ago. That's a long, long time ago, right? Here's what's cool about that. The central theme of the book is God is in control. And it's as relevant today as it was then. Daniel understood that no matter how difficult his circumstances were, God was always in control. He was working out his great plan for mankind. And throughout the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel was determined to stay on the right path regardless of the adversity he faced. So if you've got your handout with you, pull that out, that very first blank, determined. Okay? Daniel was determined. In chapter 1, we meet King Nebuchadnezzar. He was the greatest of the kings of Babylon. He conquered the nation of Judah, and he took Daniel and Daniel's three friends captive. He also took many other young men captive, brought them all from the land of Judah to Babylon. But here's the deal. Daniel chose to remain faithful to God despite the pressures to conform to Babylonian culture. That's today's message. Stand out. Don't fit in. Chapters 2 and 4 are about prophetic dreams that King Nebuchadnezzar has that Daniel is the only one that can interpret. And in in between these dreams is chapter 3, which, by the way, is my favorite of the entire book of Daniel. In chapter 3... Daniel and his three friends, they face certain death by going to a fiery furnace. Why? Because they refused to bow down to the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had made and worship it. In chapter 5, we see what happens when King Nebuchadnezzar's successor, King Belshazzar, doesn't humble himself. Many of us struggle with pride. We're going to learn about that in in chapter 5. Chapter 6 is probably the most famous of all the stories in the book of Daniel. Who's familiar with Daniel being thrown into the lion's den? Just about everybody, right? Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he continued to worship his God despite the law of the land that says you could only worship the king. The book of Daniel wraps up with a series of visions that Daniel has in chapters 7 through 12. And these visions, they provide a preview of God's redemption. And they've been considered the key to all biblical prophecy. So, the message of the book in Daniel reigns loud and clear today. 
no matter what we face in life, we can always be sure that God is in control. He was in control in Babylon 2,500 years ago. He's been in control throughout all of history, and he is in control today. His sovereignty gives us the confidence, the courage, and the wisdom on how to choose the right path for our lives. Now, before we get into today's message, because that was just an introduction, let's pray. Father, I pray that you open our minds and our ears to hear from you today. I pray that any distraction, anything that might be uh, trying to weigh upon our heart, that it just be put aside and that we would hear clearly from you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize the first seven verses for you. The year is 605 B.C., and King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he invades the land of Judah. When he invades Judah, he orders his chief of staff to capture the strongest, the smartest, the healthiest, and the most handsome young men. His purpose is to train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. So for three years, he wants them to study before they enter the royal service. His purpose was to train them so that they would be brainwashed, so they'd be indoctrinated all into Babylonian culture. Not only were they to be indoctrinated, but they were also stripped of their identities, and they were given Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. Now this is significant. Because their Hebrew names spoke of the one true God, and these new names were changed to speak of Babylonian gods. Now, commentators, they believe that these young men uh, were teenagers, probably between the ages of 14 and 17. So they were just kids when all this happened, when they got taken from their land. It must have been quite a shock for them. Can you imagine that? They were taken from their homes brought to a foreign land, forced to learn a new culture, stripped of their identities, and given new names. Wow. I mean, that's like a complete reset, right? You come out of your environment, you come out of your home, you come out of your land, you get a new identity, everything. And if that wasn't enough, they were also told that they were going to have to eat the food and wine directly from the king's own kitchen. Now, that doesn't sound all that bad, does it? You get to eat from the king's kitchen? Wait a minute. The king probably feasts every night, right? He's probably got Kentucky Fried Chicken. If you don't like that, maybe he's got Chick-fil-A. You know, those waffle fries with the, with the uh, sauce, the special Chick-fil-A sauce. Who's had that sauce, man? It's like, you just can't get... Or Mexican food. Maybe there's Mexican food that, that the uh, king has, right? They probably were eating like champions. But here's the deal. If you look deeper we see that everything that was done was done to them to separate them from their Jewish heritage. Everything was done to them to get them to conform to the Babylonian culture. This is much like what Satan tries to do to us today. He wants us, he does not want us to know who we really are. He doesn't want us to know who our real father is, nor does he want us to feel like we belong. He would rather us look and act just like the world around us. He would rather us indulge in whatever brings us pleasure. 
serving any other God but the one true God. And the so-called God that he tempts us to worship most often is the God of self. It's the same lie that he's been propagating since the Garden of Eden. When he tempted Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where he said to Eve, right, he said this, you will be like God. Remember that? You will be like God. That's what Satan said. And that's been the desire of man ever since. Be your own God. Live your own life. Make your own destiny. Listen, the worship of self is the fundamental basis of all modern-day idolatry. And at its core are three primary lusts. Here they are. They're in John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Right? Those are the three primary lusts, and they come from the world. The world says, indulge in whatever brings you pleasure. Accumulate everything you see and want. Worship yourself. Be your own God. How many of you heard this? Just be happy. Right? Just be happy. That's the lie that Satan keeps selling, and many of us just keep buying it. The Bible is crystal clear. There is only one God, big G. There is no room for self or any other God. Little G. As a matter of fact, Jesus said very clearly in Luke 9, 23, that if we wanted to be his followers, then we would have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, how often? Daily. And follow him. It's a daily sacrifice. So how do we do this? How do we choose the right path for our lives? How can we live in victory and stop falling for the same old lie that Satan keeps selling? Before I answer that, let me just say this. We have to take a stand. We were not created to fit in. We were created to stand out. And that's the message today. Stand out. Stop trying to fit in culture. Stop trying to fit in the world and start standing out. Romans 12.2 tells us, actually commands us, that we are not to be conformed to this world. In other words, we must not just go with the flow. We just don't follow the patterns of this world. We must stand out. We were called to be salt and light, like a city on a hill. Take a stand. Stand out. This is exactly what Daniel does in chapter 1. He didn't object to being taken from his homeland. He didn't object to a three-year Babylonian education where he was brainwashed or tried to be brainwashed, rather, and indoctrinated. He didn't object to serving in the king's palace. He didn't even object to being given a new name which represented a Babylonian god. But he did draw a line in the sand when it came to his food and his drink. He took a stand. Some commentators believe that the reason Daniel refused to eat the king's food and drink is because it was forbidden by Jewish law. Other commentators suggest that perhaps he didn't accept the king's food because that would be the first step in him depending upon the king rather than depending upon God. But either way, either way, Daniel made a choice. He made a choice not to defile himself. He drew a line in the sand and absolutely would not cross it. He believed 
that by partaking of the king's food and drink, that that would dishonor him. And he was determined to remain holy and unstained by the world. Here's the bottom line. Daniel had a spiritual backbone. We need a spiritual backbone, don't we? We all of us do. We need a backbone like Daniel. He wasn't afraid to stand out. Now listen, to disobey the king meant certain death, but he was determined to obey God rather than man. And this brings me to the first of three principles that I believe can help us choose the right path, keep us from fitting in, and encourage us to stand out. So here's the first one. If you're taking notes, conviction over compromise. Conviction over compromise. And we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1. We'll start in verse 8. Just the first half of verse 8. Here it is. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Notice it says he was determined. Put that in your blank. Determined. There was nothing that was going to make him compromise. He had already made up his mind beforehand. That's the key for us. We must make up our mind beforehand. That's your next blank. Beforehand. Waiting till we're in the middle of a temptation or that we're in the middle of some kind of trial, that's not the time to make up our mind what's right or what's wrong. We have to do it ahead of time. Let me give you some examples. If you were just learning about the command to tithe, right? Take a tenth of your income, bring it to the church, right? If you wait till the middle of the month after all your bills have come in and then you decide, well, now I'm going to tithe, you're setting yourself up for failure, okay? There is a reason that God expects the first and the best and not the last and the least. In other words, we have to resolve ourselves to obey God first, And as soon as we receive our income, we should be bringing our tithe to the storehouse. The storehouse represents your local church. It's where you serve. It's where you come. It's where you worship. We determine ahead of time that we're going to obey. Doing it any other way is a compromise. Let me give you another example. Let's say you're not married. And you're dating the one that you just love. She's the love of your life or he's the love of your life. You don't wait till the heat of the moment when you two are alone and you're half-dressed, decide, hmm, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. No, you determine ahead of time that you're going to obey God so that you don't end up compromising. That's the principle. Choose conviction over compromise. Another example. You don't turn on the TV and start watching a TV show or a movie until you've done some homework and you find out what that show or what that movie is about. Ask this question. Does what I'm about to watch honor God? Does it? Or does it glorify sin? Determine ahead of time. There are plenty of resources out there that you can look up online or wherever that discuss the content of what we're watching. The time to decide what we're going to watch isn't after we start watching it. Just like Daniel, we have to decide ahead of time to not defile ourselves. We must choose conviction over compromise. Now, I could keep going. Would you like me to keep going? I can preach today, man. I got plenty of examples. Fired up today. Okay. I know this stings a little bit, but listen, we all need to hear it, me included, okay? 
I'm in there with you. One last example. We don't scroll and scroll and scroll on social media, clicking aimlessly on whatever it is that perks our interest, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever the social media platform, we don't just carelessly scroll around on there. Why? First, because it's a colossal waste of time. Okay? We're supposed to be good stewards with what God's given us, and that includes redeeming the time. Secondly, the other reason is it's downright dangerous because there are plenty of non-God-honoring images or videos that you're going to run across when you're scrolling. And if you don't see them while you're scrolling, they're only a click away, okay? Which means you've got temptation knocking on your door. Why even do that? We have to be very careful about what we consume because what you're consuming could consume you. We must put safeguards in place and determine ahead of time, like Daniel, that we're not going to let anything defile us. God calls us to be holy because he is holy. Amen? Choose conviction over compromise. Now, the second principle that we must learn from Daniel is this. Persistence over resistance. Put that in your blank. Persistence over resistance. So we saw in the first half of verse 8, when we looked at that, that Daniel was determined. He had his mind made up. He had already dug in his heels ahead of time as to what was right and what was wrong. Let's look at the second half of verse 8. It says this. Oh, I lost the slide. There we go. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Okay? This is significant. Notice that he asks for permission. He doesn't blast the chief of staff on how vile the king's food and drink was. He doesn't shout from a mountaintop how wrong everyone is to eat the king's food. He doesn't make a big scene about it. He doesn't shame everyone else on how wrong they are. He respects authority and asks for permission. Do we see that kind of respect today? It seems like when we disagree on something, we have to vilify those that, that disagree with us. Why is that? Why can't we disagree respectfully? Why can't we have a healthy debate on the issue rather than attacking someone's personal character just because they disagree with us? I'm just saying, there is a clear lack of respect and lack of love of others in society today. Now, I know why that's true in the world, but why do professing Christians do that to each other? Why do they do that? Let's move on. I could keep going. I better keep, I better move on. All right, verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I am afraid of my Lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. So now we see Daniel encounter some resistance. The word says that the chief of staff respected and he really liked Daniel but he was too afraid of the king to honor Daniel's request. Now, Daniel could have rationalized to himself at this point. He could have said, well, God, I tried to honor you with my body and not defile it. I asked for permission. I got rejected. I'm hungry. If I don't eat, I'm going to die. I guess I have no choice, right? You understand God, right? 
He could have rationalized. That's what many of us do when we encounter resistance. We just rationalize it away. We'll find some excuse to give up or some excuse to justify our actions. Not Daniel. No, as I said, he was determined. His mind was already made up. So listen, Daniel doesn't stop here when he meets the first sign of resistance. No, he tries again. Look what happens next. Okay, this comes in the next passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 11. It says, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. So Daniel here shows persistence over resistance. He first quietly and respectfully took his concern to the king's chief of staff. When that didn't work out, he simply tried again and went to the chief of staff's attendant. And this time, instead of simply asking for permission to not eat the king's food and drink, he offers for the attendant to test him and his friends on a diet of vegetables and water for 10 days. He could have given up the moment that he encountered adversity, right? Many of us assume that when we run into resistance, it must not be God's will, right? Oh, it's too hard. That can't be God's will. I'm running into resistance. No way he'd make me do that. And if we don't do that, then we'll get discouraged. We'll wallow around our own self-pity, telling everyone, woe is me, it's so hard, it's so difficult. Or we'll just quit. We'll quit altogether. We think that what we're going through is unique. Like we're the only one in the world that's ever had what we're going through happen to us. And then we'll keep everyone at arm's length, won't we? We'll keep everyone at arm's length because they don't understand or they don't care. Listen, I'm here to tell you that is a lie straight from hell. Okay, it is. We are called to share each other's burdens. We are called to love one another. Don't let the drama in your life keep you down. And when you run into resistance, don't assume that it's not God's will. You know, he often uses adversity to shape us, to build our character, to purify us. Now, on the flip side of that, let's be honest, sometimes the resistance that we encounter is frankly our own fault, isn't it? But many times he does use it to help us grow. So let me give you some encouraging scriptures, all right? Let's start in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, the Christian life is often referred to as a race. Some of you heard that before, right? So when we run this race, this race called life, We run with what? Perseverance. Okay? We run with perseverance. What does that mean? That means when we run into resistance, what do we do? We keep going. Yeah, we keep going. And how do we do that? We fix our eyes on Jesus. Okay? We fix our eyes. That's that's the how. Now, when we start running into adversity and we start getting discouraged, what helps us? 
Consider him. Consider him who endured, because what he endured is far more than anything you've endured. He's already been there, done that. So consider him, okay? And when you do, that's going to help you. Look what it says at the very end of verse 3. Why you consider him? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay, that's how to not give up. Focus on what Jesus did for you. Persevere. Look at this next one. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. How many of you just run to participate? You remember those participate ribbons way back when? It's like these days now, everybody gets a trophy. I never got a trophy when I was little. I just, you know, you got to earn those things. You run to win, okay? We're not running just to participate. We're running to win. And the last one here is 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith, okay? That means, man, you got to get your boxing gloves on, okay? When life's beating you down, you got to fight back. I could go off on how do we fight back. How do we fight back? Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God, right? You want me to keep going? Uh, that's way off the... Well, that's another message. But you've got to fight the good fight, okay? Fight the good fight. Run with perseverance. Run to win. Fight the good fight. In other words, don't give up. Don't give up. This is exactly why we need encouragement in our lives. We need others to encourage us. Thank goodness that Daniel had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sure they prayed together. I'm sure they encouraged one another. We all need that in our lives. We all need people who will speak truth into our lives. We all need people who will listen and who will encourage us. So let me ask you, who is your Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who is it? Do you have friends like that? you have friends like that in your life? If not, if you don't have friends like that, then I encourage you to get some. Join a life group. You can't be a lone ranger Christian. It doesn't work. I've tried that. It does not work. Others of you may have tried that. It doesn't work. We need each other. No matter what you're facing, you don't have to do it alone. Okay? You don't have to do it alone. We've got a whole family in this room. Amen? Okay. You will have trials in your life. It's a guarantee. Jesus didn't say if trials. He said when trials come. So they are going to come. If you're sitting in your day and you hadn't had a trial, well, whew, good for you. They're coming. So get ready. And when you do, always remember to have persistence over resistance. Now, the third principle that we can learn from the life of Daniel is this. Probably my favorite. Trust over trial. Trust over trial. Going back to our text here in verse 15, we'll pick up. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, I switched translations on you, so I don't want you to get confused. I went from New Living and New uh, King James. The New Living has referred to the steward as the chief of staff's attendant. Okay, The New King James refers to that same person as a steward. So the, the attendant and the steward are one and the same person. 
I'm just different translations. You'll find out in a minute why I use this one, okay? So how many of you want to look better and fatter? Okay, better, yes. I think we all could say yes, but how many of you want to look fatter? That was funny right there. That's why I used that translation. How in the world do three young Jewish boys, teenagers who have been given a diet of vegetables and water for 10 days. How in the world do they look fatter than the other group of young men who had been eating the king's table? Man, they've been living it up, eating ice cream and cheesecake and Cheetos and Ho-Hos and... Right? Am I right? How in the world is that possible then? It's not. That's the answer. It's not possible. Only God could have done that. It was His special favor on those boys. I believe God blessed their faithfulness. They were honoring God by not defiling their bodies. You can read story after story in the Bible of God rewarding those who show faith and those who show obedience. Remember that Daniel asked the chief of staff, his chief of staff's attendants rather, to test them for 10 days. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? 10 days? Only 10 days? On just vegetables and water? You know, there was a season in my life that I was a vegetarian. Can you believe that? I did that for about a year. I'm glad it was only for a short time because, man, I love meat. I do. I especially love bacon. How many How many else like bacon? I love bacon. Matter of fact, time out for a minute. Matter of fact, I was on a traveling trip for work about two weeks ago, and I was at a Marriott sitting down for breakfast. Now on the buffet, they got all the stuff out. I go fill my plate up. Of course, I put bacon on there. I don't eat bacon, really, unless I'm traveling. So it's kind of a delicacy for me. So I'm sitting down. I'm eating my bacon. And I look at my coffee. And I think to myself, man, I love bacon, and I sure love coffee. What if they made bacon coffee? (laughs) Right? I mean, these are the kind of random thoughts that just come through my head. Bacon coffee. You know, maybe at the next MVP breakfast, we'll have bacon coffee, Pastor. I, I don't know. That'd be cool. That would be awesome. Bacon coffee. So I digress. Yeah. Anyway, as a former vegetarian, I can tell you that never once did I look fatter, whether it was 10 days or whether it was 10 weeks when it was on vegetables and water. Never once. It didn't matter. It just wasn't happening. So for Daniel to ask for he and his friends to be tested for 10 days on vegetables and water, that took an amazing amount of faith to do that. He wasn't worried about the trial. His focus was all on trusting God. And that's the principle. Trust over trial. God rewards those who trust him. Put that in your blank, trust. We can see that in our text today. Check this out. Go back to Daniel chapter 1 again. Look at verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Then in verse 17 it says, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. God gave. He's the one who gave. And I believe he gave because of their willingness to stand out for him, for their willingness to choose the harder right over the easier wrong. 
for their faithfulness. Let's look at verse 19 and 20. It says, then, king, then the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any manner requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. No one impressed him more. And they were ten times more capable. He rewards those who trust him. And God is worthy of our trust. Why? Why is he worthy? Because he loves you. He does. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son into this sinful world to redeem each and every one of us. He lived as a man, died as a martyr, and he was raised as a savior. That's the good news. And that's worthy of our trust right there. Do you trust him? Do you trust him today? We cannot let trials get in the way of trusting him. Trials are necessary. They shape us. They stretch us. They challenge us. They cause us to depend on God. Trust over trial. You want to know how to choose the right path for your life? I got a scripture for you. And if you've not memorized this, this is your homework. You need to memorize this right here because this is life, man, right here. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, verse 5 and the first half of verse 6 are our responsibility, okay? Let's look at that first. So we're trusting in the Lord with what? All? All of our heart. Not part, not some, not I'm going to doubt. All my heart. Then the next thing, which is probably the most difficult, it is for me anyway, is what? Not to lean on our own understanding. How many of us got to, we want to figure it out. We want to know why, God. What's up? What's up with that? We want to know why. No, depend, don't depend on your own understanding. And then the next thing is, seek his will in all that you do. Not just when you feel like it. All the time. Okay? So there's three things we've got to do. Now, guess what happens? Oh, here comes the fun part. Second half of verse 6. Look at this. He will show you which path to take. There you go. You want to know which path to take in your life? There it is right there. And that, my friends, is a promise. Okay? You do the first. You do your part. God is always going to do his part. Always. He never fails. Okay? So, go all in for him. Put that in your blank. All in. His word says to trust him with all your heart. That means don't hold anything back. Let go. The key is trust over trial. Stop focusing on the trial and start focusing on him. Trust over trial. So I got a challenge for you. Okay? You guys ready for a challenge? Here it is. Dare to be like Daniel. Dare to be like him. Dare to be like Daniel. Model your life after what he did, okay? You want to experience victory in your life and understand how to choose the right path? 
then remember these three principles. Conviction over compromise, persistence over resistance, and trust over trial. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your words. Uh, Every head bowed, please, and uh, every eye closed. We thank you so very much for the truth of your word and the power in your name. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, if there's anyone here today who is struggling with this whole concept of letting go and trusting you completely, I pray that today would be the day that they let go. There's someone here that does not know Jesus and says, you know what, I'm tired of living for me. I want to live for him. I want that. If that's you and you're sitting in your seat and you want that, you want a relationship with Jesus, the Savior of this world, now just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. Anyone here like that? You want Jesus to come? Thank you. You want anyone else? Want Jesus to come into your life? Okay, let's pray. If that's you, just say this with me. God, I need you. I want you to come in. I've, I've been a simmer, sinner. I've been living for me. Now I want to live for you. I give my life to you. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would come on the inside of me. Make me new. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Make me new, Lord. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died for me, and I want forgiveness. I want to live for you from this day forward. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the kingdom of God. Maybe you're here today, and you know Jesus, but you've gotten away from him. You've gotten away from living for him. You've been living for you. And you want to repent of that. You want to start trusting in him completely. If that's you, or perhaps you're struggling with something and you don't know which path to take, and you want to put these principles into into practice. If that's you, slip up your hand. I'll pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else need to redeem their life and rededicate it to Jesus? You want to get back on, thank you. You want to get back on track. Thank you. Today is the day. Don't wait. Today is the day. You feel that tug on your spirit. If you feel your heart kind of pounding or it's in your head, that's the Holy Spirit knocking on your, on your door saying, I want to come in. Okay? I want a relationship with you. So let's pray for those people who want to rededicate their life or put these principles back into, into practice. Father, I pray that you'd give us renewed courage to live for you from this day forward, that we would dedicate our lives to you and be people of light, salt and light in this world, and make a difference. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your glory. We pray, Father, that you'd bless us and encourage us. Help us to love one another as your word says we're supposed to. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So please stand, and we're going to sing our uh, closing song.